We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very, very much, as always, for locking in. This is an audio-only episode of Talking Buffalo Podcast. Nothing on YouTube today, and I'm going to do a solo episode This will be an abbreviated one, will not take up much of your time at all. This is Victory Monday. Well, Victory Monday anyway, if you're a fan of the Buffalo Bills. The Bills defeat the Cleveland Browns on Sunday in Detroit, Michigan, 31-23. They improved to 7-3 on the season. This was a much-needed victory for the Buffalo Bills, who had lost their previous two games. Um, I'm going to get right to the point today. I'm talking about a handful of things that I really, really liked about the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. Uh, I'm going to run down a handful of things that I really, really did not like about the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. Again, solo episode, abbreviated here. Just want to get my thoughts, my opinions, my takes on this game. Some of the points that I'm talking about today, I'll get into much further detail with on other episodes of Talk Buffalo Podcast this week. Um, Tuesday, of course, as always, I'll be joined by Joe Yurden. We'll talk some uh, some portions, some parts of this game with the Bills. Also, we'll talk like we always do about the Buffalo Sabres, who, by the way, that's a whole other story. That sink, or um, that ship, I should say, is sinking really, really fast. The Buffalo Sabres are losers of eight in a row, and they are getting buried in the Easter Conference. Anyway, we'll talk about that with Joe Yurden on Tuesday. Normally on Casual Friday, I have Aaron Quinn with me, but because this is a holiday week, um, Aaron will not be, t- we tape on Thursday, so Aaron will be unavailable to tape with me on Thursday. Of course, that is Thanksgiving. However, there will be an episode of Talk About Full Podcast on Friday. I will have a guest, still locking that down. Don't want to confirm who it is before I uh, before I know, but anyway, there will be an episode of Talk Buffalo Podcast on Friday. I will have a guest. And of course, there'll be plenty to talk about on Friday because the Bills do play in Detroit again just a couple days from now. This time, they're going to be playing the Lions um, Thursday afternoon, Thanksgiving football. So anyway, Friday's episode, we'll break that down. 
And as far as today goes, like I said, I'm not going to waste any time, man. I'm just going to jump right into this. Uh, the Bills, 7-3 and three on the season. This was a wild week. A wild week leading up, or at least a wild couple of days, I should say, leading up to the game. Of course, if you've been on another planet and you hear the Bills beat the Cleveland Browns in Detroit, you'd be like, what the hell's going on? That's because the Bills were unable to play in Orchard Park on Sunday because of November, the sequel, which by the way, <laughs> maybe not quite the same impact as the original in 2014, but I'll tell you what, man, this really walloped a punch. I live here out in West Seneca, borderline Orchard Park, and we got it really, really bad. I think it was the right decision by the league and by the county, everyone involved to move this game uh, to Detroit. Wasn't so much the field being unplayable as it was the stadium getting that ready, uh, the traffic, security, all that stuff. And we saw over the last couple of days in Western New York just how bad in the South Sounds uh, the traffic was. Uh, tractor trailers getting stuck, jackknifed, uh, the roads were blocked, driving bans all, all over. So it was definitely the right thing by the league to move this game to Detroit. I'm um, going into the game, quite honestly, I was uh, I was looking forward to it because I thought playing in Detroit actually was an advantage for Buffalo. Now, I know a lot of Bills fans don't like to hear that. You want to play in your own home stadium in front of your home fans. But, I mean, this weather, the way it's been in Buffalo, the, the cold, the wind, the snow, I think this would have been advantageous to the Cleveland Browns, actually. So I thought playing in a dome, a fast track, would be advantage uh, to the Bills. And I think for the most part, that pretty much... Uh, Turned out to be true. It was an incredibly frustrating game, especially early on. Familiar things going on with the Bills. They couldn't tackle on defense. Uh, the offense couldn't get their heads out of their ass early on. But, you know, it was one of those, I'm kind of glad it played out that way. One of those deals. I really was. Because I think the knock on the Buffalo Bills, and a very fair one, has become that too much of the success of this team, especially the offense, falls on the shoulders of, of Josh Allen. And I thought Sunday that the running game took a, a big burden off his shoulders. I think the defense took some off as well. And I think that needs to start happening more often. And again, I'm not going to make any excuses, but I, I do think the events of the weather in Buffalo and Western New York over the last handful of days, Thursday and Friday, I think that had some role and effect on the team. You know, the players scrambling to uh, get out of their homes to get to the stadium, to be able to fly out to Detroit on Saturday afternoon, the uncertainty, only having one full practice all week. I think there were some factors that affected this team uh, earlier on. But anyway, like I said, I got a handful of things that I just want to hit on today. I want to touch on these today, and we'll talk about them more throughout the week. But things that I really liked and a couple things that I definitely did not like at all. And when it comes to the things I really like, first and foremost, and I'm sure a lot of you listening will agree with this, I thought the Bills running game on Sunday was excellent. Now, I will say this too, and I don't want to rain on anyone's parade, but the Cleveland Browns have struggled against the run all year. So I can't say I was really shocked. Numbers suggested that Cleveland was ripe to get run on, but to the Bills' advantage, yeah, you know what? They took advantage of it. 171 yards rushing for the Bills on Sunday on 33 carries. 5.2 yards per carry. And probably my favorite stat or, or part of this statistic, I should say, is that all season long, if the Bills run for 170 yards, 
you got to assume that Josh Allen's going to count for half of those or maybe more. That's just the way the season has went. The Bills have not gotten anything with any consistency from the running back position, on the ground especially, and that especially holds true in the second half. Devin Singletary's had himself some pretty good first halves, and then the running game just completely fades away in the second half. That was absolutely not the case on Sunday. Uh, the Bills running game, for the most part, after the first couple drives anyway, when they couldn't do anything right, but after those first couple drives, um, the running game was strong throughout. Devin Singletary, 18 carries, 86 yards, and a touchdown. And uh, James Cook had a really good game. His best game as a pro far and away. 11 carries, 86 yards as well, including a really nice 29-yard touchdown. So between the two Buffalo Bills running backs here, you're talking 172 yards on the ground um, on 29 carries. That is an excellent, excellent game. And again, the best part about this is most of those yards came in the second half. Devin Singletary had 27 yards on nine carries in the first half, and James Cook had only 21 yards on three carries in the first half. So 65 yards for Cook in the second half. I, I really like the way James Cook is looking right now. I think he's uh him looking well is going to be huge for this offense. And with Singletary, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I, I've been pretty hard on him this year. I still don't think he, there's anything special about him. I think he's an okay running back. I think he's a decent running back. Nothing more, nothing less. But I'll give I'll give him credit because I'll tell you what, I saw Devin Singletary break more tackles today than, than I've seen at any point this season. And again, it's not running the football is not flashy. It's a lot more fun to watch Josh Allen drop back 35, 40 times a game, slinging the ball all over the field and take it off with his legs and running for 60, 70 yards. That's fun, but it's also, it has his pitfalls. And we've seen them the last couple of weeks with the turnovers. So running the ball with your running backs is not flashy, but I'll tell you what, you need to be able to run the football with some efficiency. Uh, we've learned, like I said, we've learned. You cannot put everything, I don't care how good Josh Allen is, you cannot put everything offensively on his shoulders week after week after week and, uh, you know, expect to keep winning and expect good results all the time. Josh Allen, no turnovers. Didn't even come close to a turnover. I don't even think there was an interceptable ball thrown in this game. And that's not to say he played really good for the entire game anyway. More on that in a minute. But that's the big thing. Yeah, sure. You want to see the Bills get in the end zone more? I mean, six field goals. You, you'd like to see it was six field goals, two touchdowns. You'd like to see them get in the end zone three or four times. But again, running the football was effective. It kept the clock moving, especially when they had to lead in the second half. And uh, no turnovers. And that has literally been the Bills' Achilles heel all season long and has been what has uh, bitten them in the ass the last couple of weeks. So the running game was excellent. Other things I like, uh, Matt Milano. I mean, duh. This guy is just, <laughs> he's unbelievable. 12 tackles, eight of them solo. He had a sack. The Bills only sack of the game. Uh, he had a fumble recovery. He had three tackles for a loss. He had a near interception. I think without question, Matt Milano deserves and will be in this week's AFC uh Defensive Player of the Week conversation, for sure. 
And I'll tell you what, man, you hear guys in the locker room. I know Vaughn Miller said something. I think Shaq Lawson might have said something. This guy is playing linebacker right now just about as good as anybody in the NFL. I mean, if you're right now, you took this Buffalo Bills team and you said, and the season was going to end, who is deserving of being an all-pro, not pro bowler, an all-pro? You can make a very good case for Stefan Diggs on offense. And you can make a very, very good case for Matt Milano on defense. He's been that good this year. And I'll tell you what, man, he was special again on Sunday. Helped make up for the loss of Tremaine Edmonds. Um, again, more on that in a minute. I, I think you saw quite often the effects of, of Tremaine not being in the lineup. It's just, you know, we can sit there and argue who's better, Milano, Tremaine. By the way, it's, it's Milano. But still, Tremaine just brings uh, a different element to this defense. And it would just, it's, it would, God, it would just be so nice to see these guys healthy at the same time and on the field at the same time. But anyway, Matt Milano was spectacular on Sunday. I thought Ed Oliver was absolutely fantastic on Sunday at five tackles. Three of those five were for a loss, numerous pressures. I thought Ed Oliver was excellent, especially in the first half where very, very few things were going well for the Bills. Very few guys came to play for the Bills early on because they were really lifeless early on. But from the first snap, pretty much, Ed Oliver was on his A game. I thought he was excellent. Um, Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson, shout out to those two guys as well. They had back-to-back stops on uh, Jacoby Brissett in the second half. Key stops, too, on quarterback sneaks. I thought, as a whole, the defensive line played pretty well. In fact, I think they played more than pretty well because Nick Chubb, going into this game, especially had a bit in Orchard Park. I was horrified of Nick Chubb in, this, in, in the snow running the football. I was still concerned and scared about him running the football in the Dome in Detroit as well. But I'll tell you what, man, the Bills did an outstanding job of, I don't even want to say keeping Nick Chubb in check. They did more to keep him in check, man. They flat out shut your boy down. 14 carries, 19 yards for Nick Chubb. Arguably the best running back right now in the NFL. So the run defense was Excellent, especially again early on. Some missed tackles, and that's something that's been a problem all season long. But as a whole, they were the Bills were flying to the football, man. Bodies all over the place. Really good job stopping Nick Chubb in the Cleveland running game. On another guy, too, staying with the defense, Jordan Poyer. God, is it good to have that guy back, ain't it? Jordan Poyer is literally a difference maker on this football team. And if you don't believe it, look at the wins and the losses. Now, it's not entirely because of Jordan Poyer, why they win, and it's not entirely because of Jordan Poyer, why they lose when he's not there, but numbers don't lie sometimes. The Bills are 6-0 and this year when Jordan Poyer plays. 6-0. and When Jordan Poyer does not play, he's missed four games, the Bills are 1-3. and Ain't that much of a coincidence, folks. He means that much to the defense, and you saw it on Sunday, especially early on. He had a big pass uh, breakup deep. On the tight end, I can't remember which one it was, but he was open and Poyer made an amazing play to knock the ball out. He was there just in time. And all I kept thinking about was last week or the week before, whatever, whether it was Jaquan Johnson, whether it was Cam Lewis, those guys just don't get to the football as quick as Poyer. And that tight end comes down with the football and it's a catch. But now with Jordan Poyer, man, he makes those plays. So he had that. He had a big tackle too early on in the game that really helped set the tone in the Bills' run defense, man. I, I just... Jordan Poyer is a huge, huge difference maker, man. I like the Bills, by the way. Another thing, too, and I'm granted, this is the Cleveland Browns, and you know they want to run the football. And I don't have the snap counts in front of me. I'm taping this Sunday night, but 
I can tell you right now, the Bills played a lot more of the, that three linebacker look than they did straight nickel the whole game. I like that. That's good on the coaches. Uh, sticking with things, a couple more things here that I really liked about this game. from a, Again, from a Bills perspective, uh, I, I thought Josh Allen played a smart game, especially in the second half. I thought he played well. I do not think he played well in the first half. More on that in a few minutes. But second half of the football game, these are Josh's numbers after halftime. 9 of 11 for 113 yards. And, uh, and, and I think he had a touchdown pass in the second half. I don't remember. But I, he was 9 of 11 for 113. Actually, no, he didn't have a touchdown pass in the second half. The, the touchdown pass to Diggs came right before uh, halftime. But still, 9 of 11 for 113. No turnovers. No poor decisions. No balls that should have been intercepted. He took the checkdowns. And he made a couple great throws, too. I remember two in particular. One, he stepped into the middle of the pocket on a rush. Threw a perfect pass to Gabe Davis. Uh, and by the way, that was also a play where Josh, um, they got a personal foul Cleveland because they gave Josh a late hit. So you had that on. But anyway, that was a great throw to Gabe Davis. And he hit um, Stephon Diggs on, on a RPO. Great little skinny post. He used his legs to buy time on the Diggs touchdown, which was at the end of the first half. But still, you could see Josh was kind of getting his shit together at that point. It's not spectacular. It's not going to win you NFL MVP. I know that. But I'll tell you what, man. You run the football and you got Josh playing smart, staying within himself, taking what the defense gives him. I thought Josh Allen was excellent in the second half. Uh, a couple more things. Dawson Knox, best game in the season. Um, seven targets, seven catches. Uh, he tied a career high by the, with uh, those seven catches. And he had 70 yards on, on Sunday, which was a season high for him. It's important for someone other than Stefan Diggs in the passing game to be consistent and reliable and somebody that Josh Allen can trust and that he could depend on. You know, on a day where Cleveland did everything imaginable to take away Stefan Diggs, they held him to just one catch. It was right before halftime, but it was a five-yard touchdown. And Stephon finished with, I think, four catches for 48 yards. Not a bad game, but by his standards, I think that might have been his worst statistical game of the whole damn season. Point being, guys got to be able to step up. And Dawson Knox last year had a career best nine touchdowns. He hasn't really been finding the end zone this year, but he's been up. End zone aside, his numbers, he's been okay this year in the passing game. I think Dawson Knox has still been an asset because I think he's been excellent with blocking, but on a day like Sunday where you take Stefan away, it's important for the Bills to have a second and third option, and they did have that on Sunday. They enjoyed that. Gabe Davis had a pretty good game. I think, I think he had like four or five catches, and like I said, Dawson Knox, seven catches for 70 yards. I thought that was really big for Buffalo. It's really nice to be able to trust him. Um, Gabe Davis, by the way, had five catches for 68 yards. A good game for Gabe. But anyway, Dawson Knox, that's the Dawson Knox that we saw a lot of last year. And I think it's important for, for Josh to get that chemistry going with him. He certainly got that going on Sunday. And then last thing here before we take a quick break, the Bills special teams were great on Sunday. Uh, Tyler Bass, we talked about Matt Milano being in contention for Defensive Player of the Week. I, I mean, I don't know how Tyler Bass doesn't win um, AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. Six field goals. Six for six, including field goals from 
56 yards away and 49 yards away. And I'll tell you what, that 56-yarder, dead smack down the middle, probably would have been good from 66 yards. He had that much leg on it. Tyler Bass, huge asset on Sunday, as he has been for most of this season. Six field goals and six attempts. Uh, Naheem Hines, which is so frustrating because they cannot get him going offensively. He only had one touch, and he lost eight yards on a gadget reverse play on the offense. But anyway, uh, he he looked good in the return game, including a 28-yard punt return, which helped set up, I believe, actually, the Bills' first score of the game on a field goal. So the return game was good. Um, they blocked a field goal. I don't remember if it was Sarad Neal or Daquan Jones. I don't think we could tell from the replay on TV. But anyway, one of those two guys got their hands on a blocked field goal. So that was big. And then even at the end of the game, Cleveland had scored in the final 20 seconds or whatever, tried an onside kick. It took a really weird hop. Gabe Davis misplayed it and went off his hands. And that could have potentially been uh, a disaster for the Buffalo Bills, a chance for a miracle for Cleveland. But anyway, credit to Taiwan Jones, who saw the ball got on the ground and made sure that the ball went out of bounds. The Bills retained possession. Of course, Josh Allen takes one knee and the game was over. So anyway, between the six field goals, good returns by Hines, uh, the block field goal by the Bills and, and Ty- Taiwan Jones with a very heads up play on an outside kick attempt. It was a very, very good day for the Bills special teams. Uh, anyway, let's take a real quick break and then come back and hit on a couple of things about this game that I did not like. Be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Sports fans who like to wager, I'm here to tell you about OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. If you're looking for a one-stop space on these interwebs to compare odds live up to the minute, Look no further than Odds Trader. Why is Odds Trader so valuable to you? Well, for starters, it's the perfect place to compare betting odds and lines from all the major sports books. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because if you're liking a team, you want to throw down some cash on them, you're getting your choice of what's getting you the best odds, the best lines. It's a chance to find the highest payouts if you're betting on the underdogs or whether you're profiting the most if you're going with the favorites. Odds Trader also allows you to compare all the different signup codes and promos from the sports books so that you can get the best deal out there for you. If that's not enough, Odds Trader, the app, also gives you player stats, key game stats, injury reports, 
projected game day weather, which by the way, that could be a huge thing to know in certain situations. Odds Trader also has a betting tracker so they can keep records of all of your games that you have wagers on and all your betting activity. Simply put, Odds Trader gives you quite literally everything you need to make the most informed bets humanly possible. If you're in this betting on sports games, any sport, by the way, make sure you go to oddstrader.com slash blue wire. Again, that's oddstrader.com slash blue wire. Odds Trader, the number one site for all your game day bets. All right, we're back here talking Buffalo podcast, discussing some things that we liked and did not like about the Buffalo Bills 31-23 victory over the Cleveland Browns on Sunday. Uh, we just spent some time talking about the things I liked the most. Going to hit on a couple of things that I liked the least on Sunday. And I'll tell you, I got to start here, folks. The Bills cornerbacks right now cannot make a play to save their lives these past few weeks. And I like Dane Jackson. I think he's a good story. Another late round pick. The Bills seem to do so well in getting these late round guys who become contributors. And Dane Jackson, throughout his young career with the Bills, has had some very good moments. He's had some bad moments too. But I'll tell you what, he has been, and I know the competition has been fair the last two weeks between Justin Jefferson and Amari Cooper now on Sunday, but Dane Jackson has been absolutely abysmal these past couple games. Amari Cooper was, was cooking him. Not just him, by the way. I mean, no other guys too. Teron Johnson got cooked on the first touchdown that Cooper scored. He scored two, and not a good game for Christian Benford either. He's, he's been pretty bad, but Dane Jackson, man, he's just getting beat. He's getting beat. There was one ball in the air to Cooper. The ball had just gotten released, and you could just see in the air, and you look at, at Jackson, and I remember yelling at the TV. I was watching him on my go, beat, beat. You could just tell he was beat. He's been getting beat a lot, getting beat a lot this season. And I really don't know what the Bills could do about it right now. There, in fact, there's not much they could do. They just got to keep riding it out and hoping that Dane Jackson makes a turn and starts playing better football. I didn't think I would be missing Levi Wallace, but I'm starting to get to that point these last couple of weeks. The Bills corners are not making any plays. I mean, the safeties haven't been making any plays either. Well, DeMar Hamlin's played pretty well. I shouldn't say that. And again, Jordan Poyer being back made a huge difference. But let's just stick with the corners here. Corners are not getting it done. Dane Jackson has been really, really bad. Uh, Christian Benford has been bad. Uh, Xavier Rhodes was out there on Sunday. I don't know if Xavier Rhodes has anything left in the tank. And I don't know that because Jacoby Brissett didn't throw at him. But then again, ask yourself this. If you're Jacoby Brissett, why would you throw at him? Why would you throw at Xavier Rhodes when you got Dane Jackson and you got Christian Benford out there because these guys are really struggling bad. That was an ugly performance from the corners who did not get it done. They did not get it done, obviously, against Minnesota. Kyrie Elam, they need him back. I, I, By the way, I thought I was a little bit surprised that he didn't play. I thought he was trending towards playing with the ankle. Uh, I, I get it. They're being cautious. But they can really use Kyrie Elam right now. And it, I don't even want to talk about Trey White, I don't really have an opinion to offer because I don't know what's going on with him. I don't know if he's not quite ready physically to play. I don't know. And we've been hearing murmurs that some of it is mental and emotional. And, we, you know, Sean McDermott refusing to get into that when asked about it probably didn't help the, the, the matter either. So I don't know. But what I do know, 
and they're probably playing a long game and they want him. And I get it. Trust me, I, I do understand. They want him ready for late December. They want the Trey White that we've come to know over the last four or five years. They want that Trey White in December, in January. They don't want a guy who's not ready to play yet. Sean McDermott keeps saying he's not ready to play yet. It's a little concerning that the last couple of weeks before this game, Trey White, they've taken it up to 90 minutes before kickoff when inactives are due to announce that he's not playing. Whereas this Friday, first thing in the morning, they um, Sean McDermott declared him out for the game. I don't know if he's taking a step back. I, I really don't know, but they need him. They're going to need him. They might not need him right now. You look at their schedule coming up, you know, these next handful of games, they could probably get by without him, but they're going to need Trey White. So I really hope that he gets all the way back. They need Elam. And they, when they're not out there, they need better play from Dane Jackson, man. We've seen better play from Dane Jackson. He's just been really shitty these last couple games. Christian Bedford, a couple of huge penalties against Minnesota. He got beat a couple times again on Sunday against Cleveland. He's, our corners are just not playing good. So that concerns me. Um, another thing I did not like is I think the Bills, for the most part, have shown that they have pretty good depth. And I like Tyrell Dodson to an extent, but I'll tell you, he's not it. He's not it. Every time Tremaine Edmonds doesn't play, and we saw it in the second half against the Vikings, and we saw it for four quarters on Sunday against the Browns. When Tremaine Edmonds doesn't play, I think that's when we realize how valuable he is as a football player and what he brings to the Buffalo Bills. Because his speed, his uh, instincts, his ability to cover tight ends and running backs and even receivers in certain defenses, his ability to be a detriment to the quarterback who might not throw the ball where he is and might make that guy go to his second or third or fourth progression. You see that with Tremaine Evans when he's not out there. Because Terrell Dodson, man, I'll tell you, the Bills are lucky, especially in the first half. The Cleveland Browns were dropping passes. I mean, they were running slants at will over the middle, getting open. Dodson wasn't there, and, and they were dropping the football. Terrell Dodson, not it. Now, they signed A.J. Klein this week. Um, they got him off waivers. And, of course, A.J. Klein spent a couple years with the Bills. Tell you what, if he's ready on Thursday and Tremaine's not, I think you will see A.J. Klein out there starting ahead of Terrell Dodson, man. I just, he's not it. So I didn't like that. Another thing I did not like, and I know this is not going to be popular because I know he's one of the most popular players on the team right now, especially on Bill's Twitter. But I'll tell you what, and overall, I do like him, but Reggie Gilliam, he missed a couple big blocks and he had a big holding penalty to negate a, a, a Devin Singletary, a long run that actually got him down to the goal line. It came back because of a hold, maybe a little bit of a questionable call, but he's got to get his arm out there. The guy was diving at Singletary, Gilliam got caught. Anyway, he missed a couple key blocks, man. I remember a few specifically got the, the Bills running backs hit in the backfield on the two-point conversion, the failed one. Isaiah McKenzie, they gave him a sweep, which McKenzie got killed on Twitter. That was because Reggie Gilliam completely missed the block. Now, you could argue and say, that's the kind of play you give to Naheem Hines because he can cut it inside or he can run you over. He can put his shoulder down. McKenzie ain't doing that. McKenzie's all speed. But anyway, point being, Reggie Gilliam, two big missed blocks, um, a holding penalty to negate a, a big Devin Singletary run. It was a it was a bad game for a guy that I like, a popular player, Reggie Gilliam. So I did not like that. And uh, Josh in the first quarter, 
Well, you know, before even that, it's just what I didn't like about the Bills is how lifeless they came out and they played the entire first quarter and most of the first half that way. I mean, that first drive by the Cleveland Browns, nine plays. Okay, so they had nine plays, the Browns. Three of those nine plays went for losses and two of them went for gains of three yards or less. On that first drive, the Browns converted not one, but twice on third and 11, they converted. And then on second down and 13 was the touchdown pass. The first one from Brissett to Amari Cooper, who again, Teron Johnson has been excellent for the Bills. I'm not going to take away how much he means to this defense and this team, but he got cooked on that play, man. Cooper just, uh, Cooper got the better of Teron Johnson on that first drive. Um, 25-yard touchdown, a 17-yard catch earlier on that drive. The Bills defense just came out lackluster and lifeless. Now, to their credit, they quickly tightened things up there. But, uh, you know, it was kind of fortunate for the Bills. Well, I don't want to say fortunate for the Bills because their, their first three drives, by the way, for the Bills, you know, we're talking about the offense and how much better it was going to be to come out on the turf and the dome as opposed to, you know, four feet of snow in the at uh, Highmark Stadium. I'll tell you what, the Bills' offense played like they were playing in a blizzard because those first three drives that they had, God damn, that was some ugly shit, man. Zero first downs on their first three drives. Two of those three were uh, three and outs. The other one was only a four-play drive. They didn't get a first down to like, I don't know, was it like sometime in the second quarter? Just, uh, not. it was a really, really ugly start for the Bills. Flat, lifeless. And again, in fairness to them, I do think that everything that happened in Western New York over the handful of days leading up to the game probably played some kind of role in hindsight to uh, the ugly start. Now, fortunately for the Bills, the the Cleveland Browns were their own worst enemy, which is funny because that's something we've been saying with the Bills most this season, even in their wins. Like, the Bills are their own worst enemy. The only one who's stopping the Bills this season so far has been themselves. It's kind of what it was like with the Browns, man. They were their own worst enemy. They dropped a couple touchdowns in the first half, a few dumb calls, play calls, they were up 10-3. It could have easily been more than 10-3. It felt like the Bills were ready to get blown out, quite frankly, at least based on the first like 18 to uh, 25 minutes of that game. The problem with the Browns, though, is like I said, they shot themselves in the foot, dropping touchdowns, a couple dumb play calls, and they let a good team like the Bills hang around, and the Buffalo Bills got their shit together. So I don't like it. I don't, you know, you're playing a different team besides the Browns and you look like that for 20, 23 minutes. Like if it's late in January and you're playing the Chiefs or the Bengals or the Ravens or the Miami Dolphins, you're probably going to end up getting smacked. Luckily, they played the Browns and the Browns just didn't have what it takes to, uh, you know, really keep their foot on the gas and put the pressure on the Bills. They allowed the Bills to get their composure and come back and play the brand of football that they're capable of. Then the last thing I didn't like was, obviously, I mean, Josh Allen in the first half, man. He just, he looked really uncomfortable in the first half. Forget the numbers. Um, the numbers were okay in the first half, but he just looked uncomfortable. Like, it was as, probably as uncomfortable as I've seen him. I don't know. Again, was it something that the Browns were doing defensively? Was it um, be him being in his own head that, hey, I've been really screwing up the last couple of weeks. I've been giving us backbreaking interceptions in the red zone. And I'm going to uh, be overly cautious. I don't know. It just felt like he was like almost afraid to mess up. I can't remember a half. And again, I've seen worse numbers, 
but just a half where I've seen Josh Allen look less comfortable than I saw on Sunday. Like, I don't even, I'm not sure even sure he threw a really good pass the entire first half, except for one to Gabe Davis, which he dropped. And, you know, Gabe is, uh, he's becoming a lightning rod because he's dropping too many passes and that's undeniable, but he's also making plays. I thought Gabe Davis played a good game. Again, five catches, 68 yards, a couple key catches, and uh, also had a couple good blocks. So anyway, Josh Allen looking really uncomfortable in the first half. It was just weird and odd, something that uh, I did not like. One last thing, too, I did not like, which ain't got nothing to do with the game and who gives a shit, but I'm going to say this anyway. CBS pregame, which I think is starting to become representative maybe of the national media. The, the Bills have went from Super Bowl favorite, and they still are, by the way, in Vegas. Betting favorites, that hasn't changed. But I'm talking about the way this team's perceived by the league, like the national media, the TV networks that are covering them. Watch the pregame, and I don't know if you did, but Phil Simms and Nate Burleson both had Miami winning the division now. They were going through the AFC playoff projections, the four division winners and the three wild cards. Both Phil Simms and Nate Burleson both had Miami winning the division with the Bills being the fifth seed, the first wild card. Um, Bill Cower and Boomer Esiason both ended up having the Bills winning the AFC East still. However, just the fourth seed. So all four analysts on the CBS pregame show, none of them had the Bills being higher than the fourth seed, which again, it's got nothing to do with the game and it doesn't mean shit. I know that, but it's still, it's kind of annoying. It's just crazy to me how quick uh, the media could just jump off a bandwagon. But anyway, whatever. As for the Bills, look, man, the, the upcoming schedule speaks for itself. It's a short week, but it's also a short week for their opponent, the Detroit Lions. They're going right back to Detroit. Uh, they're flying back there. They're going back home, by the way. They, they came back home, I should say, Sunday. Some people thought maybe the Bills might just stay in Detroit for the next couple of days and play the game on Thursday. They're not. They're coming back home. It's a decision I completely agree with. Sleep in your own bed. Get in your own routine. It's only like an hour and a half flight or whatever. But anyway, the Bills are in Detroit for Thanksgiving this Thursday. Then they get 10 days off, and they're going to New England, to Foxborough, to play the Patriots. Then they're at home against the Jets. And then the big showdown uh, Sunday, December 18th, Orchard Park against the Miami Dolphins, which very, very well could end up being for the AFC East division title. But first, you got to handle business. And we saw last week, or actually a couple last couple weeks before this game, that you can't take anything for granted. Who thought the New York Jets would beat the Bills? You know? Who thought the Bills would blow, blow a three-score lead at home? The Vikings are a pretty good team, but still, you blow a three-score lead at home, did not see that happen. So you can't take anything for granted, but the Bills are sitting right now at 7-3. There's a really, really good chance that they do what they're supposed to do. They handle their business. When they play the Dolphins again in Buffalo this time on December 18th, they should be 10-3. Uh, and three. Anyway, all right, so that's it in terms of the game. Like I said, I'm going to spend a lot of time talking with Joe Yernan on Tuesday. We'll dive into a couple of these points. I'll get his takes, his views on this. And uh, Friday, we'll be covering the Detroit Thanksgiving game as well. Just a uh, crazy-ass week with this snow, man. Uh, I don't know, you know, people... Not everybody's from Western New York, even Bills fans who listen to this show or listen to any of the podcasts out there. You know, I know you guys come from all over, but if you're in Western New York and you're in the South Towns, a crazy couple of days this was, man. Thursday night, 
at seven o'clock, there was nothing. And Thursday at 20 after eight, I was driving home from work and I literally could not see 20 feet in front of me. And it was like that pretty much for the next uh, 24 hours. I got to, you know what? Shout out to weather people. You know, people like to blast the weather people because they're always wrong. I'll tell you what, man, they called that shit to a T. How much snow there was going to be, when it was going to stop or start, when it was going to slow down, when it was going to come back. They were spot on. So anyway, shout out to them. Shout out to the Buffalo Bills handling their business. 7-3 on the season. 31-23 victory over the Cleveland Browns. Thank you for listening and letting me blab on solo here for the last 30-something minutes. Uh, I will be back with a guest, Joe Yurden. Talk to you guys tomorrow. Take care, guys. Thank you. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.